Hey, what is up, y'all? And welcome back to the Grander, uh, the Surviving the Cancer podcast. What I want to talk about in today's episode is product market fit, which means, you know, the market that you're trying to serve and the product that you actually built fits like a puzzle piece. Um, and I want to talk about some of my personal experiences um, surrounding product market fit um, and my own regrets revolving around that. Now, one of the, well, the very first business I embarked on, which I don't know what day it is, but it's like day 94 or 5 or something, maybe not day 93. But one of the first products I ever created, I already mentioned this podcast uh, before, is the it was a product called the Beat Buddy System. And the way the Beat Buddy System was actually put together is I remember um, before all of this business led me on this long, weird journey, I used to be sitting there at my house in school and in the basement, you know, wanting to rap and wanting to make music. That was one of the biggest things to me. And I remember... Um, getting some of the equipment to actually have a career. You know, I remember getting an audio interface. You know, it was this probably was around the time I was 18. I remember getting an audio interface, a microphone, the wires that connect both, some speakers in the basement. I got a bunch of equipment. And I remember for, for, for you know, for those beginning tries, what I would do is I would go to YouTube and search up beats and things like that. And, uh, you know, one of the greatest hindrances to that actually, you know, flourishing into something beautiful was that I was unable for the longest time to actually get beats to rap over. Like I would have like little freestyle beats on YouTube and things like that. But, it, you know, it largely be beats that I don't like or, you know, it would actually be previews of beats that you would have to pay for, or get a lease for and things like that. And so as a rapper, one of the first experiences I had was that I had a lot of lyrics, a lot of cool bars and things like that written over beats that weren't mine, but I had no sound. I think J. Cole actually says in one, one, one song, he said, a nigga had the beat, but a nigga ain't got no sound or something like that. Yeah, I think it's Before I'm Gone or something like that. It's one of his old mixtape songs. But I remember sitting there in the basement. I was extremely troubled and you know, my friends all wanted to make music and be rappers and things like that. But we didn't own any instruments. We didn't own any beat pads or anything like that. And so we were able, we were disabled from pursuing music for a long time because we didn't have that equipment. And it was a, it was a big frustration of mine. And, and, you know, being a kid who had no money, um, couldn't afford like studio time with producers or engineers or things like that. It was, it was one of the biggest frustrations of my life. And I remember just writing and writing and writing and sometimes at work working at the royal farms that i used to work at i'd be writing on the back of receipts and things like that just lyrics 2000 lyrics in my you know sets of lyrics in my phone 2000 i guess songs you would say and i would just rap and freestyle and rap on acapella and things like that but it really didn't sound like a song because it wasn't a song one of the critical components of music is the music you know even beyond the lyrics and so that was something that plagued me for a long time i remember though i think it was christmas of 2016 you know, where my parents, you know, went out of their way. I didn't think they actually cared about my desire to rap or make music or anything like that, but they actually went out of their way to get me something called an MPC, which is a music production center. Center. It's like something you connect to your laptop, which, you know, my MPC has historically, because of the power out, you know, the power output of my laptop, I believe functioned pretty poorly. But, uh, you know, I thank them so much. It was one of the, you know, one of the best gifts I ever received. It was amazing you know, expensive machine, amazing machine. Um, I would, I would say I don't recommend, you know, the MPC to most people because it's just, a, it's very buggy. Um, and, uh, unless you have a great computer, great setup in the latest, maybe their latest models are a little better, but the one I had, the MPC touch was just, I never had it functioning 
smoothly for any period of time in which I owned it ever. So maybe it was my laptop, maybe it was something else, I don't know, but it was it was it gave me such headache and heartache and it continues to do so to this very day whenever I try to make a beat. But that's besides the point. I appreciate my parents immensely for bringing me that. That was amazing. Um and it, it, it I did make a lot of beats on it and those were happy times and happy memories that I can't replace. Uh just completely amazing memories. But uh, I remember getting the beat machine and just making beats in the basement. And the first time, for the first time, I had solved my own critical error in my career. I was able to, I had FL Studio. I was able to make beats and I was able to make music and rap over them and things like that. I wasn't making any good songs, but, you know, the fact that I could actually build up my skill to the point where I could make good songs and put out good records and, and I had the sound was amazing. And it changed everything for me. You know, I was getting the sampling and, you know, chords and putting together, you know, drum, drum drum patterns and things like that and it just completely blew my mind but uh you know one of the things that i realized very early on is that you know there is this you know i thought back when i had the beat machine back to the times where i didn't have it and there were a lot of problems you know in the beat market you know a lot of the producers would charge what i deemed at those times because i was a poor guy you know, they weren't only a couple hundred dollars and things like that for beats or $20 for like non-exclusive rights. Uh, they were charging what I deemed at the time astronomically high prices because a large majority, a large portion of the time that I was working, I didn't have a job and I couldn't afford them. And I just had this dream and I just wanted to work and I just wanted to, you know, at least try this thing and ramp this thing, and, you know, which is still my dream to this day. All this pursuit, all this business building is to have enough freedom to actually put together a studio and really make music without ever having to be profitable. Um... But to continue along with what I was talking about, um, yeah, I, I was thinking back and reminiscing over the fact that, like, man, when I didn't have the music, how hard it was, and these, you know, uh, these these artists, producers were charging so much, and I couldn't afford it, and I just always wanted free beats. That's one of the things that I always wanted. I always wanted free beats and a steady supply of beats, a new fresh batch of beats, a producer that I could rely on and trust and connect with and things like that, and it would be, you know, delivered to me every week, back to back to back to back. And from that idea, you know, I remember a lot of the time I was making beats. I was in between my first job, which was at a, you know, a little convenience store cooking chicken and doing the register and like a little 7-Eleven with a little deadly or whatnot. But it wasn't a 7-Eleven. It was called a Roy, it was a Royal Farms. That's what it was. And, uh, you know, I quit that job on December 1st of 2016. So I had been making beats for a few months. But then, you know, between 2016 and September 2017, I didn't have a job. All I did was make music. All I did was make beats. But then 2017 came around and I started to work again because a cascade of events, negative events that really happened in my life that forced me back into that position when I was 20. Um, so I was I was making, you know, I, I you know I was working the night shift at Target rather. When and and even prior to that, I was always interested through the online mentors that I had access to, you know, uh, the the more popular figures, Gary Vee, Grant Cardone, and people like that. I was already getting into business and learning about business. I read small, you know, influenced by Robert Robert Cialdini, Small Business for Dummies. I was already reading business books and things like that. But when I got to the Target for the first time, uh, I was working on a night shift, and I would pop in my headphones every night and listen to the Marketing Secrets podcast by Russell Brunson, and that kind of started, you know turning the gears in my mind and really pushing me for the first time to create a business because I really felt like I had all all the tools to do so. And so in when when the ball dropped on 2000 in 2018, uh that was the first time I was like, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm a and that was the first time I really had like like 
money money you know like i had like ooh, i had 900 dollars uh and i got people every i got everything i got my mother a keurig for that christmas i got my girlfriend like a, a vinyl from her favorite one of her favorite artists rye i got her uh, a, a little turntable what do you call those things uh, a music box i just call them a, a record player um i got like i got my brother like some 200 dollars like uh, the David Taylor wrestling shoes. Um, I was going hard that Christmas for one of the first songs in my life, and it felt so good. But that, you know, when the ball dropped that New Year's, I start I officially started my business, the Beat Buddy system. I, like I had to look up how to make a website. I made a website on Wix. I had to figure out how to connect email to it and all those types of things. I had to essentially figure out how to collect like everything about making websites. And I had this idea like, okay, it's a major pain point for people to not have beats and not have music that they can actually use to, you know, make their songs and things like that. And I want to fill that gap in the marketplace because I know how big of a problem it was for me. And I remember this was around the time where I was like getting into marketing and I knew about Facebook ads. Facebook ads were so cheap and stuff. And I just thought to myself like, okay, well, I'm going to run an ad. I'm just going to tell how I feel about this. And so I had the Beat Buddy system website set up, which the Beat Buddy system, what it was is you can sign up for this system and there would be tiers. There'd be a free tier. There would be a, a priced tier, like a premium tier, like $7.99 a month. And then it'd go up and up and up and up with price and things like that. And I would just deliver beats, a couple beats every week. You know, the higher you went up in tiers, the more beats you got, the more quality, the more different types of beats you got, uh, the more bonuses you got with it and things like that. And so, man, the site looked horrible. It looked uh, a wreck. It was a mess. Um, but, you know, I set up the site for this Beat Buddy system and I ran the ad. And um, I remember, one of the things I remember is that it, it, it kind of like blew up and like went crazy. Like, I remember I was like listening to like Russell Brunson talk about polarity and things at the time. And so I decided to like paint an enemy and like the message was like so cool. It was like, man, I know how you feel as a producer because I'm not just a producer. Like I'm a rapper. You know, I think the way that they charge for beats and, you know, the way that the music industry is run is like it's kind of cult like and it's kind of like exclusive uh, and classist in a way. And I don't like that. And so I want to give everybody like beats and some of you, you know, will get free. You know, I want to give everybody beats for free. And if you want to buy beats, you can do that, too, um, because I'm not like the other producers. This is team artist over here. I said, like, all this crazy stuff. And I just ran the ad and I didn't think much of it. But people like like the ad like blew up like it went crazy. Like people were posting the ad on Twitter to hate on it. You know, the big beat companies and the big beat producers on 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 YouTube and things like that were quote tweeting me and retweeting it and things like that and mad and angry and arguing with me which these tweets and these tweet battles are up to this very day uh, we were going back and forth and carrying on but also even more importantly a bunch of artists like hit me up like yo this is amazing like oh my god thank you so much for doing this like I had like DMs stacked to the ceiling like thank you thank you thank you like this is amazing hashtag team artists like some of these people hit me up to even to this day you know, uh, people were hitting, like hitting me up, telling me that their friend told them about it. Like it was just this explosion of activity, and like, man, my like, guy went from like an email list of like zero to three hundred within like a couple days or something like that. I remember sitting at the Target on a night shift, and like people were entering the website over and over and over and over and over again. And I gained like two hundred followers on Instagram. Like it was absolutely crazy, and. uh the long story short in this business is that I got a few little sales with it. I get, I think I got one sale from a guy named Jawanza here in California. Uh, I was living in Maryland at the time. I remember 
you know, whatever. We're not going to get into all the details because I'm making this episode super short. And I got another sale that didn't go through. I got a couple sales that like they canceled before the, you know, the free trial was over. But I got a bunch of cool sales um, and things like that. But uh, ultimately, that same April, four months later, I had shut the business down. Um, largely because I didn't understand, like, I think the business truly would have been like a multi-million dollar business because I was building such an email list and such a customer base, um, for so cheaply. I wasn't spending like any money at all on it. Like, man, like, man, it was crazy. Like Steve Larson says that on a front end funnel, a break in scenario, like breaking even, like you're making $0 on the front end is a million dollar, um, scenario because like if you make like if you know you sell like a a small product and you know the amount that you pay to have people come into your website if it's even to the amount that people spend at the end of your campaign so let's say you you pay a hundred dollars for a hundred people to come on your website and they you know cumulatively they spend a hundred dollars so you profited zero dollars i thought that was like a failure type of situation but the truth of the matter Stephen larson explained this on his channel on youtube um that's a million dollar scenario because now you have all these customers that you can upsell new items. And I didn't understand that. And so that April I shut it down because I thought like it was a business that wasn't making any profit. No one wanted to buy from me and things like that. And looking back on it, like after all these months, like I've never repeated something like that after all these years of struggling and later, later, like to get an email list of 300 for me would like be like a, a crazy mind blowing scenario. Like, um, to get that many listeners and people attentive would be like hitting a gold mine, you know? And, um, and so, man, looking back on it, some like the last, you know, a few nights ago, I was just thinking like, damn, man, like I really let that gold slip through my fingers. And because I was so young and I didn't understand anything about business and funnels and upselling and things like that. And it, it, it just kind of, it kind of bugged me a little bit, but, but, you know, the point of this podcast episode that I'm bringing is, you know, wow i didn't really make any sales um i was able to impact people you understand what i mean i was able to get people to gather around my vision and the way that it was done was the way that the message was structured you know um it's not you know marketing is the element you know element of getting sales but it's 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 something entirely different to have a system built so well that masses of people are attracted to it instantly um that you know to have something that helps and impacts people and therefore builds a social movement is a different strategy than the strategies that bring cash to a business and so essentially what i'm saying is now essentially what i'm saying is but moving on a little bit like that was the first time i had seen like in hindsight i understand is what they call you know product market match you know when you have the ultimate solution you know that's completely self-explanatory uh even if you're like a zero like that was like i hadn't known nothing about marketing at the time even if you're like a level zero marketer um magic can happen and things can blow up and so it's really about you know refining over and over and over again i i think this is all summed up in the brian chesky quote he said make something that a hundred people absolutely love not that a million people kind of like into you know, beyond working on your messages over and over and again and working on your market over and over and making on the idea. If you can just make a product that, you know, that, that, that really hits the nail on the head when it comes to what people are experiencing their problems and the problem solves that problem, you know, what they're experiencing perfectly, the piece of technology is exactly what the doctor ordered. Then you, you know, achieving product market fit is like, 
half the entire battle. And once you achieve that, it's off to the races. I'm reading this book by billionaire uh, Reed Hoffman, the guy who created LinkedIn. And he talks a lot about this in the book. You know, the first early stages of a business is, you know, getting product market fit. And once they get product market fit, then they go to venture capitalists and do what they call blitz scaling. They just push money into the business and they go from zero or however much they make into a billion very fast. And all the, you know, all the magic is it is in creating the exact product, the exact piece of technology that people are craving. Product market fit is super important, uh, allegedly. Um, and, uh, that was my experience with it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. This is Dallas from Surviving to Cancel. Rate, revive, you know, rate, revive, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed it. I appreciate you so much for listening. Um, this was a bit of a rushed episode, but I gave myself 20 minutes. I got to go back upstairs with my girlfriend and we're going to go probably get something to eat. So if I promise her a deadline, I got to meet it. And uh, that's what it is. I'll talk more on this subject in the future, elaborate on it more. But uh, there you are, product market fit. I appreciate everybody for listening. Thanks.